the leg. Hook the leg. Oh, my God. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the pro wrestling edition as we pull the straps down on the singlet and get ready to unleash another strong style dose of that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, yes, in fact, the voice that you hear. And if you caught that reference off the top of the show, you may have picked up on the fact that after a week off on vacation, turning 40, your boy BC is back. And even more important, I'm up to date on just about all things NJPWG1 Climax 28. Wow, that's a mouthful. That's the best of the best of the best of the best of the best that this world has to offer. Look, folks, there's no need to dance around it anymore. Brock just said it, and it's true. It's damn true. My G1 tent is pitched. The milk spilling and spoiling everywhere for that best thing going in wrestling today. Hey, debate that at your own peril. And believe me, my co-host just might do that later on the show. You never know where this thing is headed. Without the elite, wrestling is boring and it sucks. And you know what, listeners? I would have said that same thing that Kenny Omega just said. That would have been my analysis this week on this show if we had done this show after just Raw. But luckily for the future of my wrestling fandom, at least, SmackDown Live was able to slide in and save the day and bring it. And we have a lot to talk about this week. I can only speak for myself on my love and hate for the red and blue brands, respectively. But I'm sure the Silver King will have his own take for you all. And maybe a few hedges if he can land that finisher in just a few moments. But speaking of hot takes and having your voice be heard, some of you, some of our most beloved listeners, have taken that time to bear arms in this audio revolution and speak out in favor of the ITC. But for some of you others, we've received nothing. Not a positive review, not a public complaint, not even a diss on the internet. He disrespected me and my family through the media waves, you know. Not even a right swiping plea for more handsome Greek in your life, but luckily for you folks today, it's your lucky day if you hear something today on the show that you in fact like. If you see something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts, join that revolution, and let your voice be heard. Subscribe, rate, review, whether you love or hate us, let it, let it out, right? Put it out there on the table. And we do know most of you do love us. I mean, why, why else would you listen? So you know it's all about those five stars. It's all about the five. Oh, it absolutely is, Booker T. But with the business now, at least all, most of the business out of the way, it's almost time to get into that main event, stretch out, get ready to bring the pain, and welcome in my co-host. Here he comes, guys. Say hello to the bad guy. Oh, yeah, he's a man who just wants to be heard, so shut the F up and listen to him. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now, I got a good amount of work done during that intro, I got to tell you. I know, you can clean clean your house. That's why that's what people should put this podcast on and just do the chores, right? Go, go run to the grocery store, mow the lawn, whatever you got to do. I mean, we'll get you through the day here, Silver King. Yeah, I mean, it just it takes, you know, seven, ten minutes before uh, we get to some content from uh, Pancho Villa over here. Well, like, a- like the Nick Costos era was any different. We got to hear about his closet. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's got Ferragamo <laughs> shoes, folks. He's well-dressed. We already know that he's the sexiest man. Well, his his intros were just as long, but I spoke a lot quicker. So, therefore, it didn't feel as long to me. Oh, wow. I always, I always forget whose show this is. I 
I run this show around here, not you, Jack. <laughs> all right. Hey, Silver King, I, I want to thank all of our listeners for the great feedback on last week's ITC Screwjob episode. And you know what? I meant it when I said it on the show. Special thanks to my man, Stack Guy Greg, for taking the time out of his busy schedule to join. But you know what, Adam? Just like after Brett joined us the first time and we thought it was over there, I thought this whole thing was over with last week's episode. And Greg, sadly it didn't. Did you know I got an email this weekend from the Stack Guy that simply said, quote, after listening back to my CBS Sports podcast appearance, I will never have anything to do with any of you both again. You are total bums and jerk-offs of the highest order. F you all. Sincerely, Greg. Can you believe the nerve of that guy? Yeah, it doesn't bother me much. That's fine. No, he didn't really say that, but, you know. No, I figured. No, 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 they didn't. I, I, I will you could s- imagine what it'd be like if they did, right? You could imagine. Uh, yeah, you, uh, could, <laughs> yeah you, you could imagine, Silver King. I, I will say the responses um, were 100% in favor of us. I don't know about your DMs or your or your replies, but the In This Corner account, my personal Twitter account, 100% Brett screwed Brett. Wow. Yeah, no, you know, it's right. And and Brett, by the way, was at UFC Calgary over the weekend. It looked, it looked a little washy in the front row, but that's what happens after a long career. Uh, you know, no, whatever. No ill will toward Brett. It's ridiculous. We talked about it last week, but it's just crazy, Silver King, to, to put that final ribbon on it. That this guy comes on our show and rips everybody, and then hears us rip him once, and is like, F you guys forever. You just well, ripped everybody! It's also strange when we, we hold these guys, we revere these guys, right? And we hold them to such a high level, and the 16th best wrestler of all time for him to feel that way about us, you know, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that is very unfortunate. You know what's not unfortunate, though? Uh, well, what's, what is unfortunate, uh, Silver King? And I don't know if you agree with this, but it's unfortunate that there's not enough hours in the day to get through every G1 28 Climax NJPW match because they're friggin' fantastic. But what is fortunate, when you want to watch them, when you want to press pause on your life, and you want the convenience, you want the ability to watch it, stream it when you want, clear, no issues, you gotta get out there and join that, that revolution. And it's the Roku revolution because this has made this G1 experience even better. And Silver King, you don't get a lot of credit on this show. But this is something that you started. You know, you have to deal with it. I get my fair share of credit. People know where the where their bread is buttered and, and where their opinions are generated. It's from the Silver King. Uh, I'll tell you, I actually wasn't feeling that hot this past weekend. And in addition to catching up completely on the G1, I spent nearly two straight days watching Netflix. And I did not turn my cable box on one time the entire weekend. I watched Orange is the New Black. I watched Narcos on Netflix, the entire new seasons of both. And I watched the G1 along with catching up on some features on the WWE Network that I had missed. And you know how I did all of that? I did it utilizing my Roku streaming player. They start as low as $29.99. You get hundreds of thousands of TV shows, movies, sporting events, all of your wrestling in one place. And I did recently just hear that NJPW is in production on their own Roku app. Which oh, that'd be is sweet. great news because the methodology doing it right now, not the best, but it still works fantastic. Regardless, you want to get yourself a Roku before that happens. And really, to utilize the WWE Network and everything else, go to Roku.com. You check all the options. They have the 20, like I said, it starts as low as $29.99. That's for the basic model. They have HDR. They have 4K. Whatever your TV requires, they got you covered. ROKU.com. 
and start streaming today. And I know watching NJPW can feel like you're watching this niche, illegal drug thing that it's like it's our thing, but don't be watching this on your phone. Stream it to your TV with Roku after all. Hey, before we get into the, the, the good stuff, the analysis, the funny stuff, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention a, a rough weekend in the world of pro wrestling from, from the standpoint of deaths that we lost WWE Hall of Famer Nikolai Volkov. We lost Grandmaster Sexay Brian Christopher Lawler. We also lost Brickhouse Brown. They say bad things happen in three, Silver King. So, you know, uh, tough to see all of these. I, I want to hit Volkov off the top. He's 70 years old, passed away following a brief hospital stay. Uh, I, I came up in the, in the Vince national launch WrestleMania era, and obviously Volkov was a key player in that. I think that's a major reason why he's in the WWE Hall of Fame with all of his brethren in that class, including the Iron Sheik. Do you have one big memory? that we can send Nikolai off from from your time I, watching a wrestling fan. I actually don't have a single big memory of him because much of his prominence was really before my time watching wrestling. But what my takeaway is from reading about him and, and from the clips that I have seen is there were very few wrestlers better. You maybe throw the Iron Sheik in there and one or two other guys that of getting the biggest faces in the company over. You put him in a match with them, the other person gets over. You don't, They didn't even need to do much. Because Volkov was so repulsive to the crowd that he would get that person over. Yeah, so Cold that's War my memory takeaway from his career. Absolutely. Perfect time. There there's a lot of perfect timing in Nikolai Volkov's career. Certainly, he played his character perfectly. But there was great timing in, in, in coming to prominence at the national launch, the Cold War era, to be able to pull off a character like that. But he added a lot of personality to it, singing the Russian national anthem before each match and Iron Sheik spitting on the ground afterwards. But he gets in the Hall of Fame with that other group, you know, the Hillbilly Jims, the Greg Valentines, the Iron Sheiks, the Jimmy Snookas, all those guys that were like the first edition LJN action figures in like 1985, right? Like that's a special group of people that really put WWF on the map. So Nikolai Volkov, who who did, of course, you know, have tag team championship runs with the Sheik, what lingered on for a while. Uh, you know who's run, though? Uh, this is a, re- a really sad death in, in Brian Christopher, and him and I have the same first and middle name, so I always, you know, sort of looked out for the guy, and I certainly remember him, but at 46 he was found unresponsive in a Tennessee jail. I didn't watch a lot of his prime what, what what kind of performer was this guy in your eyes? Well, he was entertaining. I mean, he went through a couple incarnations in, in WWE, but Grandmaster Sexay was really the one that took off as part of Too Cool. And I think I tweeted over the weekend, or retweeted, I should say, a clip of him in the Royal Rumble. I forgot, I'm forgetting the year off the top of my head. Um, so I'm sorry, but look at my Twitter feed and you can see the year. But they stopped the Royal Rumble in the middle for a dance party with oh, Rikishi, Grandmaster Sexay, and uh, Scotty Tuhati. And that was like, t- today, if that happened, if that happened like with the Funkasaurus, right, it's corny. But then, despite the edginess that WWE Attitude Era had and that Raw and SmackDown had, that was still something that the entire Madison Square Garden crowd lost their minds for. So when you look back at his career, it's not really the in ring wrestling. It's the rest of it. It's the characters that he created. And that was certainly one, and that moment will always stick out to me. Absolutely. He's, of course, the son of Jerry the King Lawler. Had some rough times for the for the end of his personal life there. Very sad to see. And also Brickhouse Brown, who you know had won titles in USWA, world class, did a lot of time in Memphis, of course. From the territory era, he passed away at 57 following battle with prostate cancer. Hey, we, we if we had a bell, we'd ring it for those guys. Warriors. Guys who lived the life, who in, in the Bret Hart documentary, 350 Days, they they were there in that era, living that life for sure. Brian, and, yes? No, I was going to say, and today is also the three-year anniversary of the passing of Rowdy Roddy Piper. So add that in, 
It's a sad day. It's a difficult, obviously, start to the show. We're going to remember these guys for everything they did for the world of professional wrestling and entertainment. And I think we can take a breath and then move into the main event. This is the main event. Okay. Moving on to professional wrestling in the year of our Lord 2018, as Nick Costas would say. We saw Brock Lesnar return to Monday Night Raw in an appearance that uncommonly for Lesnar, and when I say this, you can, if you have a date or, or a year, I cannot remember the last time that we saw Brock in more than two segments on a Raw or that he was even there in the main event. I mean, he's, he's been in the main event, you know, probably leading up into a WrestleMania or the Greatest Royal Rumble. But for him to be on the show that much was rare. They strung along an entire storyline, basically, of Lesnar refusing to leave the backstage area, just appearing in the arena was, was apparently enough to fulfill his contractual obligation. And uh, Kurt Angle put Paul Heyman's job with WWE on the line if Heyman did not make his way into the ring. So before we get into the specifics of what happened from there, BC, did this Brock Lesnar segment make up for his extended absence from WWE TV? That's a, that's a debatable question. That's a good question. That's a debatable one. I think uh, the use of this throughout the whole episode, in my eyes, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but save the episode. I thought this was a really, really bad episode of Raw, and that provided the backbone that was worth watching. It's hard to say because so much damage has been done as to whether this made his absence worth it and saved it. I will say this was, all in all, in the end, a very good appearance from Brock that does further the storyline. I was entertained. They gave Brock more of a leash when it comes to dialogue than I've seen in a long time. You know, there's a lot of weird stats here. The fact that Brock hasn't been on Raw and at all live since like early April or mid-April, you know, setting up the Greatest Royal Rumble, and the fact he hasn't even had a match on Raw, I think since like 2002 or something absurd. I know he, he didn't have a match on Monday, but he was there, like you mentioned, every 15 minutes, it seemed. And the use of the comedic outdoorsman magazines or whatever they were, and the use of his dialogue from being the ultimate heel with the state comment, I mean, to everything, it was really well done. It was also different. It was different to see him that despicable and, and really turn on Heyman, ultimately, that much. I think there's a lot of spin off there, a lot of, you know, meat on the bone, so to speak, to chew there. But just having him back, man, it, it felt big. It, it felt like we needed this in Adam at the very least. There's continuity now. At the very least, there was this open, gaping wound and sore in WWE's red brand storytelling. No, I guess in the end, if you want me to answer, it doesn't fix this. But it's it's stopping the blood from flowing out, at least. This Band-Aid is large enough that we can cover it and say, you know what, we just might be able to salvage the SummerSlam storyline after all. And I'll say the best part about it was that you knew the tease for Braun Strowman and Nikashin was there during this episode. They never put it in your face, which of course made you believe it was coming. And then to not come through with it, I like that because it kept me interested. They didn't take any cheesy ways out with it. But they made it like in a horror movie when you know someone's lurking around the corner and they don't actually come, but just that suspense, right? I liked that altogether. That left me with a positive taste in my mouth. So touching on that first, they did mention it a little bit with Kevin Owens complaining that Braun would have the opportunity to cash it in before their match even took place. So I thought that was smart usage of it. But, I mean, look, Braun is a freaking cartoon at this point. Like, this guy, he's supposed to be a monster. He threatens the first time Lesnar shows up I'm going to cash it in, doesn't even make an attempt, doesn't even show his face. That's not continuity for Braun Strowman's character. It doesn't make him look like a monster, and it makes him almost look pathetic that he just wouldn't show up when he was clearly in the ring 
took out Heyman, took out Kurt Angle, so there was no one there really besides Brock to prevent him from cashing in properly. I would have much rather had Strowman make the attempt and Owens like trip him from behind and continue that feud and then move the attention back to Lesnar or or have that be the close to the show with Lesnar like smartly like laughing on his way up the ramp as Owens and, and Braun get entangled and Braun gets the best out of Owens. So there was no reason for me that that was not part of the show and it was really poor writing that it wasn't. When you have, if anyone else had the briefcase, I'm okay with it. But with Braun Strowman having the briefcase, he should be a threat to attack Lesnar and cash it in every single time he's on TV. I mean, there's you're, no, there's, you're not wrong there, by the way, because that's really good ideas and really good booking. It's just, it's weird. You're asking for something on the red brand that we don't get. And it's been such a barren desert that, yes, I was happy this week just to have one storyline that connected the whole way through and that kept me interested. I didn't like the rest of the show. I'm not going to lie. This is not hyperbole BC. This is not entertainment BC. This is real life BC who's got a family, who's got other sports he covers, who has other things in his life. At the end of Raw Monday night, I was really ready to really question, what am I doing with my life? Why am I putting in this much time to this? Because they just don't, they they can't work on more than one storyline at a time. Nothing ever connects. So while you say, man, it would have been even better if Braun did this, this, you're right. But in this case, I was just happy to have anything to chew on. And having Brock back was at least something because it does affect Reigns, it does affect Heyman, it does affect a couple different avenues moving forward. I mean, you're just spitting a bunch of BS right there. That That's the truth. Um, and I did pick out the one negative from the Brock Lesnar thing, but to say they're only able to book one storyline at a time, that's a criticism that we give WWE on occasion, but they had the Rollins-Ambrose-Ziggler storyline that's continued Dude, for an extended no. period. No, 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 I don't care if you like it or not. We're talking about their ability to actually do it. That one was booked and continued. The Rousey storyline continued on its current pace. Dude, they you know had what the, the Rousey storyline was? A repeat of the pay-per-view. Do you know what the Rollins storyline it... was? A repeat of Rollins and McIntyre two weeks ago and a repeat of the finish from the pay-per-view. But Dude, what... they're not doing anything. They don't have stories. It doesn't stories. matter. But you, what you said is they are only, they're only handling one storyline. Yes. That's all they did the entire show. It's not, and I keep talking and mentioning others, but you can talk over me so that you can't hear them and the audience can't hear them to disprove your point. Okay. you guys shut the F up and let me talk for a minute? We're going going there already. We're going there already. Because it's true. The Sasha Bailey storyline continued. You don't have to like it, but it did, as did the Bobby Roode and uh, what's his name thing back? What's his name? Uh, Mojo. That's fine. That's a mid-card feud. My point is, my point is the show, the, the Raw episode on Monday, and we're really getting off the Brock Lesnar topic, which I think there's plenty to dive into. But the Raw show on Monday, you may not have loved it, but it was one of the best episodes of Raw that we have seen in a long time. Yeah, no, in you're, large you're so part, off on that. You're so off on that. The Brock stuff was good to very good. It's incredible. You just uh, made a statement. You got you to eat the words. You got to sit on trial. I was still going in large part because of Brock Lesnar getting weaved through the entire episode. And you and I saying on multiple episodes of this podcast that any edition of WWE TV having a backbone and a story to tell throughout the broadcast is indicative of a good show. And that's exactly what SmackDown did with the women on Tuesday. But that's okay. So the Brock storyline was good. And the fact that they spread it out, gave the show structure. It gave it something there. It was good. You're now jumping and saying it's one of the best episodes of the year. Absolutely not. The Brock stuff was good to very good at times. The rest of the show was awful because Raw has been terrible, terrible recently. So for me saying this is one of the best episodes we've seen recently, I'm not saying it's great. 
I'm just saying it's been so bad recently that this one was very good in comparison. You're defending extensions of storylines where really nothing happened. And to make it worse, they've just repeated other matches, which only waters down when we actually get, like Finn Balor against Baron Corbin, when we actually oh, get ridiculous. that on the kickoff show of SummerSlam, guess what? You've already seen it six times for no reason. Same thing with Seth Rollins and Ziggler. And I know in the big picture, we can hope this leads to Ambrose and maybe intelligently it will. But this week, it's not good. It makes me not want to watch this every week, especially the same week I'm watching G1 and NXT with a title change and all that great stuff. I don't see how you can possibly say that was a great episode or stand by Raw booking more than, or caring about more than one storyline at a time because they don't. They don't well, care said, at all. I said it was a very good episode, not a great episode. They, oh, here we but, go. There we go. Again, we're going to pull. We're going to hedge it back. We're going to hedge it back. No, there's no hedge. You putting words in my mouth is not me hedging when I tell you what I actually said. Okay? You woke we up Tuesday morning. You sent me a message that said that Very was a good great episode, episode of Did Raw. not say the word great. Open your Slack. I, I, I dare you to prove me wrong. You said it was a great episode. So I never said it. Never Words never came out of my mouth. Back to Lesnar, though, because that, that is what we really should be discussing here. Um, so the backstage segments, I thought, were fantastic. Outside of the – I mean, I got I to address the medium well stake situation before we really continue <laughs> to talk about wrestling. In what world – and, and I expect that if he's ordering a steak on TV, then mentally he's just saying his normal order, right? So maybe that's his normal order. But in what world is Brock Lesnar not just ripping a part of a cow off and eating it rare, let alone maybe medium rare, let alone medium, let alone medium well? How is he eating? How does this man, this beast, this monster eat a steak medium well? I'll tell you right now. Congratulations. You played yourself. You got worked. That's the best no, heel answer he could have given. No, of course, no. real Brock Lesnar lives on a farm in Saskatoon. He bites off what he wants and rides the rest home. You know that's how he lives his life. This They spent the whole episode trying to get him over as the most despicable, hateful heel ever. <laughs> to the point that they buried and sabotaged smart lovered Paul Heyman, right? Like the guy we love so much. They went to complete efforts to absolutely make him look like a weakling to get Brock over the stake thing. Just a part of that. You know it. By Come the on. way, Heyman, I mean, we'll talk about Lesnar and Reigns and everything else. Heyman was the MVP of the episode. Yeah. No doubt, especially that last segment, the begging and then the evil smile, which is one of those moments that you can blow up the, 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 the still shot and make it a poster on your wall because it's brilliant. And look, let, let's just get into that part of it. The fact sure. that they did, you know, hammer out Heyman's character for the hope of Lesnar. Because what it tells you when you watch that interplay between Brock and Paul Heyman, what it instantly does to your heart and mind, and it's designed to, is to get you to go, oh my God, is, is Paul going to turn on him? What's going to happen? Uh, SummerSlam, is Paul going to join Reigns? All that stuff there. We'll get to that in a second. But what it's what's really happening, and I don't know if everybody's picking this up, is this isn't Vince doubling down. This is Vince triple, quadruple, 10 times, 1,000 times over, Correct. doubling down on I will get reigns over no matter what, and I will even, and you made a great point last week. You said try, trying to get reigns over so bad they've ruined reigns and Lesnar, and I'm not saying they're trying to ruin Heyman, but they stuffed Heyman down in, a, in the ground and in a paper bag there to try to get Brock booed, to try to make this work. Obviously, we hope SummerSlam ends with a, I don't know, Roman heel turn and Heyman by his side. Don't count on it because they are doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on it. And it's 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 pretty easy to see. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think that what they did Monday night actually has any effect on Heyman, though. I don't think it buried him. I don't think it made him look bad. That's Paul. That's his character. He does that at some point in every incarnation he's been in WWE. That happens to him. His guy, 
turns on him. Sometimes it's permanently. Sometimes it's for one week and it's a joke. You know, it's um, a, a twist so that like next week, if it happens again, Reigns runs out to save him. And then Brock just turns around and attacks Reigns and Paul's there manically laughing, right? So it always happens that way, but doesn't necessarily have the end result of that wrestler making the full turn on Heyman and Heyman going to side with someone else. Though we do know when Heyman, I think, was the GM of SmackDown in like 03 or so, something very similar happened with Brock. But the difference there was Brock was obviously still with the company, stayed on his own. I think Heyman uh, either turned with Kurt Angle or Big Show then, I don't remember, but it resulted in a title change. The problem here is if that was to happen and Heyman gets involved, then Reigns, and I've been saying this for a month, still won't have a clean win over Brock Lesnar that we have to have for this nightmare to end. On that note, though, BC, Brock Lesnar was great Monday night. Paul Heyman was great Monday night. I thought Roman Reigns was great Monday night as well. You know, he was. By the way, everybody was great Monday night because they put all hands on deck to this. Baron Corbin was great. You know what was great, too? The writing of Stephanie McMahon to get her involved in there and to further the angle divide with Corbin and McMahon. But yes, Roman Reigns was fantastic. He played the badass role well in a while. He was he was Austin-like for a while in terms of his early commentary and, and his snappy comebacks there. I loved how he handled being escorted out of that locker room because the whole time he's slowly walking out. In the back of your head... You're, you're back in a schoolyard watching a fight about to happen. You're like, come on, Roman, turn around. Come on, Roman, turn around. Get in Corbin's face and then to deliver the right hand and then to have Cor- Corbin kind of sell it with a smile. Everything about that was gold. Whether you think they can do more than one storyline at a time, this was the storyline that mattered and they put a lot into it. And where this is going is obviously the next topic and the question and what happens at SummerSlam and the, the percentage that I think we're going to get some kind of heel turn or even Heyman coming with Reigns, I still think is very low. I think the real debate is whether we're going to get the the Roman clean win over Brock like we were supposed to get three years ago and we think we're still going to get, or are we just going to get a, a money in the bank cash and to, to make sure these guys aren't booed out of the building? I don't really know yet, but I think Monday did a lot to show me that WWE's trying, that they are kind of feeling some things out as well. And that this isn't going to be like at least whether you like the WrestleMania main event or not. I still love that Vince had a trick up his sleeve, whether he decided that five minutes before or not. He had another trick up his sleeve. I just hope they have a trick up their sleeve for August 19th. That's what I really hope that there's something there that's good. And it just doesn't come off as, oh, yeah, like if it's Braun cashing in. I just don't want it to be obvious. Like something good has to happen with Owens or or something there or Brock winning again. No one wants that, but at least it's something different. Am I making any sense? No, no, you are, because I think I've said on this show a couple weeks ago that, um, you know, there's a lot of things that still can happen with this main event. Braun can walk out after both entrances are made and just cash in and make it a triple threat at the beginning. He can wait until Roman wins, cash it in immediately after, get a pop. Owens can beat Braun and do that exact same thing at the end of the match and walk out as champion. And Lesnar can win clean and walk into Raw the next Monday night, I think it's still in Brooklyn, and then have Braun or Owens cash in in that night. So... There's a million ways to get the title off Brock, which they need to do. And I have to assume coming out of that weekend slash Monday that Brock will no longer be the universal champion. The question is just how do they do it? And as I've said, and as I just said a moment ago, any scenario where Reigns does not pin Lesnar clean, it continues the national international nightmare of this storyline remaining out there for Vince to turn back after Lesnar gets his ass kicked back in UFC and whatever month that's going to be, March, right? Something like that. Uh, so Yeah, January, February, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so so I like the our goal as fans, as, as wrestling aficionados, should be to watch SummerSlam and ha- 
hope that they give us an enjoyable match that doesn't get hijacked too badly. But ultimately, that Reigns pins Lesnar and or Lesnar walks out without the title with Reigns not really having much of a beef anymore with Lesnar. That's how this all needs to wrap up one way or another. Very fair, the, the, the way you look at that. And, and of course, we, our, our listeners are always watching along with us, coming up with great ideas and questions. Kentucky, Kentucky Long Rifle. Sorry, I hit the button too early. But yes, that is an email. And it's a bonus DM from at that's got to be Kane. Our, our newcomer here was making an early impact. And we talked about the idea of... of the, the, the little bit of a tease there is Heyman still going to be brought by Brock's side at SummerSlam. Is he going to be there but turn on him at the end? And if he is, is he going to join Reigns or is he going to join whoever cashes in or is he going to join? Is there going to be another Paul Heyman guy if Brock is out of WWE from SummerSlam through January or March and doesn't come back until next Mania or doesn't come back at all? We really don't know his contract situation at this point. One thing, though, to make you believe that Reigns isn't going to turn heel is things that guys like Dave Meltzer say that when he just was pushed as the public charity face in that recent ESPN, uh, award, you know, humanitarian awards, that shows you it's probably not likely. But that's got to be Kane wants to know this, Adam. It looks likely that we will have a new Paul Heyman guy after SummerSlam, but who should it be? He offers Reigns, Strowman, Kevin Owens, or someone else, question mark. Do you think there's any chance that Paul's got a brighter future that he's going somewhere else after SummerSlam. I think there's a chance. I mean, they're, they're obviously wanting us to lean that way based on what happened Monday night. And it's something that you and I, and we actually got a couple tweets from listeners that you, you guys have been talking about this for months. Yeah, we have, you know, cause Lesnar, I mean, uh, Heyman turning on Lesnar is a great storyline, especially if he does align himself with Roman Reigns out of those three. The I mean, yes, he also was the mouthpiece for CM Punk, but Owens doesn't need a mouthpiece. He just doesn't. And he's also not the kind of guy, he's a, he's a bully, that's his character, who doesn't need a manager in Paul Heyman to get his way, and he's proven that. Braun Strowman could utilize him, but he's a monster, and what are you going to do? Give this guy the briefcase and have Heyman help him cash it in and win the title? That makes him look even weaker than he already does as this cartoon character. So out of those three, the only answer really would be Roman Reigns, but if you wanted something different, I would throw you Drew McIntyre, because even though McIntyre can talk, he's the type of guy who would benefit from having someone like Paul Heyman push him forward. I just don't necessarily think that's going to happen. If I was the one writing it, I'd pick Reigns because they, it would be nice to turn him heel and have someone like Paul helping him become that character. Well, let me ask you this now, Adam. And that was very, very well said, very intelligently put. We assume that if Heyman would ever go with Reigns, if that's where this is leading, that Reigns has to turn heel. But Paul, already completely over with the smart crowd, is basically True. a babyface on this past Monday, was basically presented as a babyface, except for that 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 sort of snively smile at the end when he convinced, you know, Ang when he tried, when he begged at Angle's feet. But he, if he get, anytime he gets handled by Brock, he's going to be a babyface in our eyes. What if WWE has Roman win and their hope of, of getting him cheered without turning him heel is simply having Heyman Double cross Lesnar with which yes is a is a heel move. But let's not forget, Terry Bollea, Hulk Hogan did a heel move to help Savage win WrestleMania IV's main event and win the WWF title over DiBiase. So it's not impossible to see a a babyface make a heel move. But are we overthinking everything and not realizing that if Paul goes with Roman, Vince is just thinking, you know what, people love Paul, so of course they're going to cheer Roman if Paul is by his side. We'll put them over as conquering babyfaces. We finally conquered this. This heel Lesnar who doesn't care about any of us 
And by the way, if that's his plan, do you know what the default backup plan is? If everybody just boos them anyway, you don't have to turn him heel. He'll get heel res- re- response. You can keep him as a baby face in storyline. And guess who deals with booze better than anyone? Paul Heyman. So this could just be a win, 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 win. And we're not giving Vince enough credit. That's a good point. I think um, a Paul Heyman turn on Brock and face turn simultaneously for Roman to get that juice off Paul is better maybe than even turning Reigns heel because turning Reigns heel feels forced. Like, oh yeah, they're finally caving into the fans. We're going in that direction. They walk out on Raw Monday night after, let's say, Roman wins the title with his help and, you know, gets cheered in the moment because I think fans are now being conditioned to want Lesnar to lose, which I think they did at WrestleMania also. They just hijacked the match anyway. Um, But then Lesnar can immediately combat any boos. Say, oh, what are you booing? Would you rather have a champion who's never here? Blah, blah, blah. And helps get Roman over. I I think it's worth noting that Monday night and Miami and Florida is a very marked town and mark state just based on the history of wrestling in this area they don't really revolt much against the product that wwe tries to sell when they are down here so that said roman got heavily cheered not 100 percent, but whereas previously it was like 50 50 or, or 60 40 with the 60 percent booze it was like 75 25 cheers on monday night wow and i think that was an impressive um move by WWE to get him to that point. Whether that's sustainable and whether that continues in Brooklyn, I doubt. But on Monday night, they worked it perfectly to get Roman cheered. The only thing that's fishy, of course, or that gives you a pause is that it's almost too obvious the way that they set it up Monday. That And when it feels too it obvious that Paul's going to turn and help Roman, then obviously it's not going to happen. But I think for once, Adam, we have hope. And that's a good thing. Let's move on to the second item in our main event this week, and it was the blue brand. And I'm not kidding, Adam. It resuscitated my main roster fandom. It made me believe again that 20 days out or 19 days out from SummerSlam, good things could actually happen. And I'm going to make this statement. SmackDown Live was not only so good, and it was two hours of glorious entertainment, but it was the blueprint of everything Raw used to be and should be and isn't moving forward. True or false? Hero or zero? What do you got for me? It was fantastic. True. 100% true. That was a great show. You know why it was great? Do you know why it was great, Adam, in terms of uh, booking idealism and, and structure of a show? It was great because it wasn't. it didn't lean on the crutch of ratings grabbing two and three segment matches involving stars that don't mean anything or our retreads of pay-per-view matches either we just saw or are going to see again or both. And it relied on the things that made the Attitude Era so great in terms of Nitro and Raw. And those things are lengthy dialogue segments in which people talk real-life trash against each other and non-match attacks like Orton had on, on Hardy, which we'll get to later, that really were vicious and felt incredible. And then when they had matches, for the most part, the matches mattered. Like, it's really not that hard. Why can't we have that on Raw? So it it makes me ask you this. I don't actually know who runs the red and blue brands from week to week, but from what we think we know, we always think Raw is still Vince, Kevin, Dunn, and that SmackDown is 
overseen by them, but sometimes you you get the feeling that there's other guys rotated in and out. Sometimes, you know, our, our, our good guy Road Dog fire Road Dog so we can commit Harry Carey on SmackDown, which was his famous comment. But I just feel like Tuesday night was either the old Vince and not this current vision of old Vince, or it was somebody else who was given a chance at the book because it just felt fresh, new, different. And even though SmackDown hasn't been bad lately, this was way better. Well, SmackDown's been good for a while. And, and as you've said earlier than I was willing to give it credit, it's been the A show since WrestleMania, since the roster shakeup. But you're right. This episode felt different. And I think there's a couple reasons why. They could have booked the episode the same way and made it worse by doing a couple things differently. If Jeff Hardy, that segment, was Hardy in a match, as opposed to doing a promo that got interrupted by Orton and Nakamura, it's like, rolling your eyes, we've seen this before, another interruption. It wasn't that. If, um, I'm trying to think, if they had like thrown or squashed a Sanity two-minute squash match in there somewhere, you know, just to have, just to get them on the show, that would have ruined it. Had AJ Styles come out to debate Samoa Joe, as opposed to Samoa Joe ripping the hell out of him and us saying, whoa, I really wonder what AJ is going to say to combat that. Oh, he's not there. We have to wait until next week to see AJ Styles. All those little things, that's smart writing. It leaves, not only did it entertain us in the two-hour segment, it left us wanting more. And I'll add one more. That tag team match, having New Day go face-to-face with the bar in the middle of the ring, you felt that aggression. They were on commentary the whole time, but they were on commentary but didn't get involved in the match like would happen every single time the upcoming opponent is on commentary. Someone gets thrown into them, they interfere, whatever. So they skipped all the tropes that make WWE so boring and and just consistently blah. They skipped all of them, but they still told the same stories they wanted to tell, and they were that much more entertaining. And we're going to get to the specific stories, the big ones in a second. They were crisp, and they felt real, and they felt raw. But this is why I want to put you on trial, Silver King, when I say outside of the Brock storyline, which I know in reality was what? Like an hour and a half of Monday night. So, I'm uh, well, yes, outside of that, I, I just don't see how you can watch the rest of Raw and feel any entertainment excitement because this was the, you saw the difference of what they're normally like and how they should be. I, I just don't get the, 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 the disconnect there because Tuesday was perfect. Monday was copy and paste, run back another match. But you can't say that a three, you can't say that raw was copy and paste when they did the Brock thing, which they haven't done in like years. Weave a story through an entire show. I shouldn't say years, but in, in a long time, weave a story, a dominant story through an entire show in that manner and pay it off and also integrate other storylines into it. As I said, the Kevin Owens, yeah, but you Braun, can't just you know, mail in the rest though. That's my but they, point. But, but, that, but that's what I'm trying to explain to you is I don't feel they did mail in the rest. I understand why you did because some of it was repetitive and so on and so forth. But there were portions of raw that advanced storylines. And even though like the, and we're not going to talk about it through the rest of the show. So I'll mention it here. Even though the Rollins McIntyre match was a repeat, Totally agree with you. I'm not going to argue with you about that. But it advanced the storyline, which they only gave us on social media last week, that Rollins is learning he's not able to combat those guys on his own and needs something else in his corner, which is, in my opinion, I said it on the, at the end of last week's show when I was solo, going to lead to Ambrose showing up at either at SummerSlam or the Raw before SummerSlam to have Rollins back. So you may hate that it was repetitive parts of that show but they were still pushing storylines forward while allowing the Brock Lesnar storyline to be the backbone and dominate the episode. And but that's a waste some of those of segments weeks. were good. 
that can ha- so the point on the Rollins Ambrose is great, but th- you're wasting three weeks. You're 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 basically just saying we know these guys make good matches, so watch it again. No, I, I'm sick of that. Okay, so of course that of course. it's just I just can't handle that, and it, it literally makes me not want to watch the show anymore. SmackDown because- felt it, not only was SmackDown written better, and you said this at the beginning, it felt fresher, and it felt fresher because we saw matchups. Zelina Vega, Lana, even though Lana's Lana, that we haven't seen before. We saw storylines advance in ways in which we haven't seen them advance so dramatically and so quickly. And that's why SmackDown was so good. And there's an argument against what I said off the front, though. And I, I want to I start with this statement. I think Raw's problem is Raw books the show for the live crowd. Raw plays to the live crowd way too much with long matches like crazy, whereas this episode of Tuesday Night of SmackDown played completely to the at-home crowd, which, by the way, dwarfs your live crowd. And somebody came at me at Twitter who happened to be in the crowd Tuesday night. His name is Pat Carraher, at Pat, C-A-R-R-A-G-H-E-R. We had an intelligent debate, and he said, as someone in the crowd, I have to disagree with you. There were three matches on SmackDown in two hours. One was Lana Vega, who are not exactly the best wrestlers. I'm confident in saying it was the worst show I've ever been to, end quote. So I respect Pat's opinion, but here's the thing. It's in some form, he's right. I was at Raw a couple months ago in Hartford, third row. It was amazing. And do you know when you sit that close, what you actually hope? You hope for more in-ring action between big names because live, it's really fun and it's really different. And yes, when you're live, these talking segments really can drag. You're not seeing the multiple camera angles. You're not seeing a lot of that. They can drag. The action when you're sitting that close is amazing. So I get what Pat's saying, but it does go to my larger point, Adam, when you buy a ticket for Raw and SmackDown, you know what you're getting into. It's a TV show. You just happen to be there watching. If you want to watch matches, go to a house show. And hey, Raw, stop booking house shows for three hours. That's really the problem in 2018 on Raw, Adam. It's a friggin' house show. And Fr- you know this. From the match versus promo aspect, the the ideal scenario for someone in the crowd is is really a happy medium between SmackDown, three matches for two hours, if you're in the crowd, it's truly not enough. Even though we fully enjoyed it as at-home viewers, he's right. They probably should have had another match. And for one of those matches to be Vega-Lana, it's really they saw two matches, right? And an exte- an athletic promo segment. But he saw okay? 205 Live. He saw a dark no, he match did. main he did. event. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's wrong, but I'm also saying for you, yes, you're right that a ton of matches is great. But when I go to Raw, I like not seeing matches because I see matches. Yes. I, I see plenty of matches. So I would prefer Raw having... I guess the equivalent of four would be six matches, not eight. I don't need eight matches on Raw. Give me five matches. Give me six and get out and give me some promos and good stuff. Or give me quick so, squash matches that have a reason, right? Give me things that, that, that have purpose. Yeah, like, like exactly. You, they could have had Bobby Roode in a squash match against a jobber just to be like, Bobby Roode still exists. And, you know, he's still strong. And you've seen Mojo Raleigh for a couple of weeks get over Noe Jose. Don't forget Bobby Roode's here. Like, that's okay to do that on Raw, SmackDown, anything else. They could have had Joe squash someone and then deliver the promo he delivered if he wanted a little bit more action. But we're nitpicking here because SmackDown really was that good. And to get into some of the details, I kind of, I, I, there's a lot happened on the show. I want to start with Daniel Bryan and The Miz because for me, you know, you know me. Like, I've been talking about it on the show really since he got cleared before WrestleMania. This is the match. And I think for the first time, WWE gave us an entire segment that told me they're going in the right direction. We've had little glimpses of Miz's promos, strong promos, and Daniel Bryan talking about their past, but they laid it all out on the table this week. 
Yeah, this and was, yeah, go I'm ahead. gonna get that 10 minute intro on SummerSlam. I know it. I'm excited. This this was that that uh, like you said, like no panic. All things are good. Everything's where it needs to be, and it is, of course, for two reasons. The Miz, while on location or not, wherever he was doing that from was really allowed to be the MVP of a segment once again and absolutely shined. And why wouldn't he? There's natural, seemingly, you know, energy between them that's negative. But they 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 mentioned so many real-life things going on. And that's why it's so great. Because, you know, Daniel playing up that if it was a real fight, I'd, I'd, I'd beat you down right now. And if I can only get a chance to have a fair fight against you and you're soft, you know, you're, you're not even, you'll never be seen at a rock. Like, that's all brilliant. But for the Miz to play in Daniel Bryan's real life contract situation, the fact that there actually is a real life debate here that you and I have all the time, that if Daniel Bryan doesn't resign, he would actually have to go back to high school gyms and bingo halls and, and yes, uh, the Wrestle Kingdom and great stuff like that. But yes, to bring that into play in the way that they did was so brilliant. It just left you wanting more. And guess what? They didn't have to put hands on each other. No one had to have a match. All they had to do was talk. And it was so next level. The energy was so high. We're exactly where we need to be. Don't anyone tell me this should be at WrestleMania. It's on pace where it needs to go right now for SummerSlam. Wow. I'm so dialed in. All those callbacks to Talking Smack in 2016, Adam, that was the hook that you know we're going in the right place. My my only concern, and it's a little unfounded because you have to have the first match at a big event. Like, you can't have the first match at Unforgiven. Or, I know they don't do that anymore, but that's just, that's the first one that came to my head. Um, Tuesday in Texas, yes. Gotcha. Yeah. My concern is they have this match and, like, Hell in a Cell is coming up. So, the, the, this won't be the blow off. You know what I mean? Like, we want more than one match out of these two. And I would love if they could figure out some way to stretch it from SummerSlam all the way through WrestleMania. But we just know that that's not going to happen. So, because of that, if we can get a great SummerSlam match, and we can get a Hell in a Cell rematch. Who's complaining about that? This is this is going to be really, really, really good. If they can work Daniel Bryan's contract situation, which timing-wise, to be really honest, we we know we think we know that it expires September first, which is obviously all in night. But that's also what a week and a half after SummerSlam. It would be really nice if they worked that in. That there was some form of doubt just like they did with CM Punk, just like they did at the, with the, one of the greatest stretches on WWE in the last 15 years, right? Like, that's going to be going good places. Nothing more to say. It's perfect. Don't ruin it. Let it go. Keep it going. But you know what else was perfect, Adam? Samoa friggin' Joe. People tweeted at me. I don't have time to read them all. Is Samoa Joe the best promo? Th- yeah, yeah. He, might, he just might be, all right? He really just might be. Especially- and what's incredible, and what's incredible, DNA didn't let him do promos like that. Amazing. Like, what a- <laughs> it, like no. we give we give WWE a lot of crap, deservedly so. Like for also, and I said this even before, by the way, not letting Brock Lesnar talk forever, and he's he's really good on the mic when he gets the opportunity, which he was on a Monday. But they let Samoa Joe talk from day one on the main roster, and the guy is nails. Whether he's the best promo or not, I don't know. He eviscerated AJ Styles. It's the realest promo. Now he normally is in the ring when he's allowed to talk real trash. Get ready, folks. When he's allowed to do Adam Urban speak. <laughs> He's absolutely fantastic. This was a borderline urban speak promo, and it was so damn real. Think about it. I mean, this is what I always say. Hey, NXT, NJPW, this is how I want my wrestling to be. Adam, promos like this are how the WWE main roster could and should be. And guess what? It's a real life situation for them. They work an obscene schedule. They're away from their wife and kids. So the, the genius psychology in that, both in the storyline and real life, 
are incredible. Are incredible. I can't wait to see what AJ's going to come back. Because guess what? He got cornered in a way that both AJ the character and AJ the man are kind of forced to go, wow, he's right. He's right about that. So how do you retool and come back at that? I love it. I love you, Samoa Joe. I that- think he was sweaty. There was the towel. Everything was perfect. And that's why it's good that AJ wasn't on the show because there's no retort to that in the moment. Like you, you just can't do it successfully and make AJ look good. And I'll say this before we move on to one more part of SmackDown. I think it would be a massive mistake on WWE's part not to put the title on Samoa Joe at SummerSlam. I think it would be a massive mistake not to have Daniel or uh, AJ's family in some public way in this feud because the fact that Joe said your family secretly wants me to win right from the premise of they would get their dad back. God, that's brilliant. That's like Randy Orton reaching into the crowd to beat up Mr. Cena. Like, it's moments like that. It's like Jake Roberts' uh, wife getting danced in the crotch by Rick Rude. It's moments like that that get you to care. Even Maurice slapping Zack Ryder's dad. You know what? I care that night, Adam. I care about this. Sometimes you just want to feel it. Feel that. You can't help but feel that. Ah. I'm feeling it all right now. This is great. Hey, WWE, you're back. I was really ready to walk away, Adam. (laughs) I was ready to come on this podcast and say, Adam, I know you love WWE, but this podcast is either going to be NXT and NJPW or we're canceling it because I can't take this crap anymore. But Tuesday, we're back. We're back. Yeah, and Monday was good too. All right, end of this uh, SmackDown segment of the main event here. Hit that uh, DM sound for me here. Oh, yeah, let me get that going. Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email? All right, we got Brian Owens at Owens11B, and he's really uh, talking to us about what went down with the women, which was the backbone of the SmackDown show, which also was nice to see, have that weave throughout the entire program. I really enjoyed it, and it deserved it, too, because everything else fit in nicely. But what he says is, uh, why won't they let Becky have any shine? She should be able to have her moment of being in the title match alone and not include Charlotte. She's a hell of a worker, and I truly believe she deserves the women's title. And then insert Charlotte into it and chase her. Think a Becky Charlotte title match at Evolution would be mage, which I guess is your old cheap heat term. Um, So whether I agree with that or not, uh, let me answer his question briefly, if I may. Uh, They're working you into a shoot, brother, because (laughs) that's how you should feel. They know the fans love Becky, and I'm one of them, and I felt the same way coming out of the show. You know, in kayfabe, I'm like, I want Becky in this title match. I want her to beat Carmella clean. And then, yes, let Charlotte become the number one contender and move into this feud, you know, going into evolution, which maybe should be the main event. Becky Charlotte, I I don't necessarily know you're going to get a better current women's match one-on-one than that as the potential closer for the evolution show. My concern, and this is where I'll volley it back to you, BC, it felt like they were considering turning Becky heel. And if that's the case, I think that's a massive mistake. She is completely over, and they have a huge baby face in her where Charlotte is a natural, really good heel, and they would work much better in that type of dynamic. What do you think? I think it's very interesting because you said, you know, your concern, the fact that there's a heel tease actually got me fired up because the key question from Brian Owens, and thank you for your offering here, is why won't they let Becky have any shine? You know, she's this, she's that, she's that. Well, that's the problem because she's all those things, by the way. She's such a great worker. She's the female Dolph Ziggler before this recent Ziggler push. She works so well. The crowd loves her so well. It's easier for them to push her as Beck Balboa, the lovely uh, underdog or whatever, than to do something with her. So the fact that they brilliantly handled this on Tuesday night, you, you nailed it. Everything was perfect on this. 
They could have rammed it down our throat like they do Sasha and Bailey. The tease that the friendship might get broken. Instead, they weaved it in such an organic and just non-intrusive way that Beck's going to have her moment. Oh, wait, oh, there's Charlotte. Oh, oh, you know, like it was just slow. Like, was it predictable? Yes. But predictable still works in wrestling when you do it the right way. And this was done the right way. So you ask me, should I be concerned that Beck would go heel? No. I think it puts wrinkles of, to the storyline potential in play now. And if they did go that way, by the way, let's not forget a couple things. A, it's probably the only way Becky would get a big push right now because your scenario of them closing Evolution, Mark, fans like us would love it because in our hearts we know that really Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky, three of the four original Four Horsemen, are really the, the best workers the females have and, and we want to see them back up on top in legendary feuds against each other. But WWE doesn't seem to agree with that. I think the only way Becky could get back to that level is as a heel and B, don't forget, she had a fun storyline in NXT where she joined Sasha Banks' side as a heel when really in the beginning of her larger push, Sasha taught her how to be bad, and it led to that really good takeover pay-per-view match where Becky turned face and and ended up losing, but that whole storyline was fantastic. I think now we have a lot to work with here, because guess what? Carmella could still end up with the belt. Not likely, but it could happen. This could just be a setup for Charlotte, or Becky could finally get her moment. And she could finally get her moment as a face or heel. There's a lot in play now for a match. If it would have been Carmella Becky, would I have cared? A little bit. Not not one of those give me four hot minutes and get out of the ring. Yeah, I would have cared because I would have wanted Becky to have her moment. Now I care a lot, Adam. I care a real lot because there's a little mega powers in there. There's a little bit of everything. Becky nailed it in terms of her facial expressions in the interview and in the main event. And you know who else nailed it. And we never give her enough praise. Carmella Oh, really it. was the backbone of this whole night. Thank you, Carmella. The Ellsworth tease, everything. The fake crying, everything. I care about women. I care about them. Thank you, Blue Brand, about time. I called Paul Heyman the MVP of Raw. I think Carmella was the MVP of SmackDown. You're damn right. And that's crazy. It really is crazy because everyone got on her for obviously she's not one of the best workers in the ring, but she's gotten better. And that's all you can, like Lana too. Lana's not good. She's probably the worst women's wrestler in WWE right now, (laughs) but she has gotten better. And all you can ask from women in those positions, and maybe you don't think Carmella should be champion, but that's part of her real life heel appeal is that you don't want her in that position. Not because you don't like her, not because you don't find her attractive or anything like that, but because she's not necessarily a great wrestler, but she's not winning matches with wrestling. She's winning matches with her cunning and with her heelish maneuvers. And she did it again to Becky at the opening of the show, made Becky look like a massive baby face. And then Charlotte allowed Becky to look like an even massive, massive, bigger <laughs> baby face because it's her best friend getting the spotlight instead of her when she should be. The announcers also put it over perfectly. SmackDown was such a damn home run. Yes. And I'm going to go out and venture to say that this women's storyline might be legitimately the best one WWE has had since the Charlotte Sasha Banks storyline years ago. Because if you really think about it, every storyline since, maybe entertained, maybe you're not, they've kind of sucked. All right, to close on the women here, I got a question for you. Carmella's work, the way she worked us there, in terms of crying and and great dialogue, by the way, about about being jealous of Becky and about for evolution, we got to come together and stop burying each other. Was that the best work of her career? Or was it off camera 
at WrestleMania 33 in Orlando when the handsome Greek Nick Costos worked himself into a into a damn near shoot there and was like, hey, Carmella, you're from Staten Island. I'm from <laughs> Queens and expected to have a, you know, old time New York conversation, not realizing it's a work, brother. She's from Massachusetts. Her dad's a former jobber. Come on now. That was great. The only two times I've actually seen Nick get shut up were by Carmella there. And by Paul Heyman that same day. Yes, yes, because Carmel was like, uh, yeah, uh, yes, Staten Island, yeah. Like she, she, <laughs> she, she didn't sell it well. She, but she still worked him. It was, it was great, great moments in Carmella history, right there. It really was. Okay, third part of this main event, which has gone on long, but you knew that would happen after BC's gone for a week. Uh, NGPW G1 Climax 28, as you have written down, is the best thing going in wrestling. So I'm using Woo! your, I'm using your terms, but you're, you are correct. It's the best thing going in wow! wrestling. Silver King. Um, well, I mean, it's again, you tasted it, saying, you saw. Yeah. As I've been saying for the last couple of weeks and really for a long time, I have no issue with NJPW. I love it. It's a great product. My problem is when you try to compare a pro- one product that's wrestling sport focused to another that's completely about sports entertainment and saying this one that's sports entertainment doesn't have as good wrestling as the one that's about wrestling. That's always been my contention. I'm done. Dude, I don't need to it's wrestling. Wrestling is wrestling. One is okay. is going to be better than the other. Don't don't clarify it like that. No, but it's better. Inside the Silver King's body in the last week, did, did this happen at all? Wow. Did you did you did it did it did it fester? Did you feel that? Oh yeah. Um. Basically, every time there was a B block show for a G1, uh, <sighs> that sound went off. Usually once, definitely twice. Sorry. Definitely once, usually twice during every one of those shows. Man, I, I mean, there's so much has happened, and it's been so long since we've actually discussed the G1 in any detail or anything like that, that it's really tough to know where to start other than to say in a generality, and I'll pitch it to you, there's a lot of dudes besides Omega, Naito, and Okada making names for themselves oh, in this yeah. event. That might be the best thing about what this tournament does. The best thing is that every day there's almost every day there's sensational matches. That's the best thing. The second best thing is that so many people, even in defeats, are given a chance to make leaps, to become actual title and main event potential contenders in here. And look, apology, we're always honest with you. Apologies last week. I was getting ready for vacation. I was like six days behind on, on the G1 suddenly. I really worked hard the last few days. I'm almost all the way caught up. I'm completely caught up right now as we record on the B block. And there's an imbalance there that we'll get to. But in terms of people making the leap, we already knew Kota Ibushi, obviously, was one of the best five wrestlers in the world and could give you those moments that just like, oh my God, just absolutely turn you into like Moro Ranallo where you're just like... But he's doing it every night to the point that after I watched his match this morning with, uh, it was uh, the main event against Hiroki Goto. And by the way, watch that one. Watch the Juice one. Watch Saber. Watch all of them. Watch all of them. That's the point. Watch all of them. But this is not hyperbole. I'm not convinced Kota's not the best wrestler in the world right now. I'm really serious about that. These matches are friggin' fantastic. He's in better shape. He's always in great shape. Somehow he's in even better shape right now. He's operating at a level that is absurd. And you know what? If it was just the golden triangle backflip into the crowd, like if it was just stuff like that, you'd be like, all right, he's a high flyer. Do you know what he's doing better than anyone right now? He sells really good. I'm not going to tell you he sells the moves the best. He sells intensity right now better than any person. 
fires up as a babyface in the key moments that gets you fired up on your chair. People that can make you feel that, that can get you to stand up as a 40-year-old wrestling fan and get, and get giddy, get those, get, you know, feel the, just feel that. Dude, seriously, tell me, yes or no, he's not out of the discussion for the best wrestler in the world. He's in it. He's right in your in-hole right now, Adam. Oh, yeah. And, and my biggest issue, because I like to give strong opinions. I don't give hot takes like like you sometimes do, but I like to give strong opinions. My biggest problem with NJPW is I can't like pinpoint who my favorite wrestler is, because when you see the Okada Omega four match, you're like, man, Omega is the greatest in the world. Like, how could you how could anyone else be better than him in the prior three matches in that series? And against Naito, I said to you. Man, Okada, I think, is the, really the best wrestler in the world. Then when we had Naito Omega in the finals of G1 last year, I said, man, Naito really is the best wrestler in the world. And then consistently throughout this entire time, from the Cruiserweight Classic on down, I've maintained to you that I love Kota Ibushi, and I think he is one of the best wrestlers in the world. And then Kota Ibushi's the one who goes out, and so far in this B-Block, I'll say it again, as I've said it twice this show, has been the MVP of the B block. And that's saying something when you have Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito and Hiroki Goto, for that matter, just because why not? He's been great too, in the same block. Oh, He's been that good for the exact reasons you said. Now, we told you the first day of B block, the Sabre match was absolutely incredible. It, it, I haven't decided yet. Okay, if guns to my head, I'm going to tell you right now the best match so far in this entire tournament, Adam, is Kenny Omega, Tetsuya Naito. And, and that's, I think you'd probably agree. But certainly. Abushi Sabres in that conversation, and you know what else? And by the way, certainly Abushi Sanada is in that conversation. But you oh know what's God. even greater in that conversation? Abushi Ishi. Did you see that match? Holy crap! A lot of people tweet at me constantly. BC, I'm behind. What 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 match should I watch right now? Pause the show and watch Abushi Ishi because you're gonna feel that. Yeah, um, that match is tremendous. And even moving away from Ibushi a little bit, like if you said to me, name your five best matches of the G1, I could do it. But I would literally have to cycle through Hangman Page's matches, most of which have been losses. Kenny Omega's matches, most of which have been five star, with the exception of one. I mean, five, four and a half, whatever. Um, Tetsuya Naito's matches have been incredible. Toro Yano's matches haven't been to that. They haven't been to that level but they've been vastly more entertaining than they were a year ago when they were all yes. hijinks. Double pause on that for a second. You want to watch the best Toriano match you can? Watch him against Zack Sabre. Holy crap, that was a great match. Oh, man. So many people making the leap. Let's pause now on Hangman Page, though. He's in the A block, which is a little bit more destitute. If you're going to catch up quickly and skip, you're going to skip a lot of A block matches. And every match he's in, whether it's against Okada, whether it's against even Jay White, whether it's against Suzuki, you know, all these, like, he's... He's getting better every single match. I don't feel I have a handle on how good he can be. And that's a scary place to be. This guy's, like, at first you get a Bruiser Brody feels because he's kind of like a big guy. But he's doing absurd moves. He does, like, three straight backflips. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. This guy's amazing. Well, that I forget what it's called. But that, like, where he flips over the top rope and hits the lariat. I forgot what it's called for some reason. But that move's incredible. He, the, the thing about him that's weird is he, I think he's been one of the stars of the entire tournament. And that's even including the biggest names, Omega, Naito, et cetera, because he's been so good putting other people over. But the weird thing is I expected him to kind of have the G1 that Sonata had last year where he got a big win, a couple big wins and, and whatever, and he's basically losing everything. And 
I, I'm, I find myself disappointed because he's had so many really great matches, yeah. yet isn't getting the credit of a couple points here and there to tell the fans and those watching, this is someone we actually believe in. It's almost the opposite of Jay White, where Jay White's had a lot of good matches too, but he's getting almost all wins, and they're almost forcing him down your throat, where Hangman, they're saying, eh, he's not ready yet. Well, Hangman's even getting though, the Juice Even though Robinson. he looks like he is. Like, Juice Robinson is putting on a damn great match every time in the B block this year, but he's losing every single one for the most part. So Juice it's basically yeah. Paige is playing that same role. But let's, let's stay on Jay White because he's winning a lot. And Adam, as we stand right now on Wednesday, August 1st, the G1 standings on the A side have Tanahashi in first place with 10 and four guys with eight, Evil, Okada, Suzuki, and Jay White, which leads you to believe with a couple weeks left, all five of those names have a great shot to win this. They've seen upset bids before in the finals. I'm not going to pretend that I've seen every G1 tournament for the past 15 years, but you, you can read and realize when Goto made the finals in 2016 against Kenny, that wasn't expected. When Carl Anderson did it in 2012 against Okada, that wasn't expected. Are we on our way to a Jay White winning the A block here? Because every match, man, when it's close at the end, he goes over. That's conceivable. Uh, in the point standings, where did you say um, Okada and uh, Tanahashi were relative to the other guys? Tanahashi has 10. All those other names that I mentioned have eight. Okada, Evil, Suzuki, and White. Okay, so my my pick still stands at the top of the uh, standings. Let's not forget. Now that probably means he won't win, but that was my pick. Um, I think it's feasible and conceivable that Jay White wins it because I don't think Okada winning does anything, not based on his current character and what they're doing with him. I would like to see Evil win. Like, that would be awesome. Uh, he's the type of guy who could fit into that. You know, he's basically just going to do the job to whoever wins the B block. Basically. Because he's not going to main event Wrestle Kingdom. But ultimately, you, I want to see people win both blocks as a fan who I could see main eventing Wrestle Kingdom. And I don't see Jay White doing that. And I don't see Evil doing that. You know, and I don't see Suzuki doing that. So then it leaves us with what? Tanahashi and Okada, right? Basically, so who? it's like, in my mind, because I predicted Kota Ibushi would win, and, and I still do, by the way. I think we're still on pace to that. It's basically who's going to take the fall to Ibushi to really amp up the Kenny and Ibushi storyline going forward. Now, it's no guarantee. You look at the B block right now. Kenny Omega undefeated with 12 points. Naito has 10, and then you have Ibushi with 8. Everyone else pretty much doesn't have a chance because they have 6 or less. So the match that's going to decide that, of course, Adam, is the match right now, circle it on your calendars, on your life board, whatever you have to do, it's this Saturday, August 4th, and it's Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi. Whoever wins that is the last one left, along with Kenny, who's going to come out of this block. You think it's going to be Ibushi to set up the final day of Ibushi versus Omega for either a chance for Ibushi to win to make the finals or a chance for them to draw at, you know, a time limit draw in Omega advances with the tiebreaker. Something there's going to happen. But Naito's been booked really well, too. So this Ibushi-Naito match is must-see. That may well be the match of the G1. And I've said this already, like, I think twice. But the best match since Okada-Omega 4. Um, which I think I currently have in my ever-changing standings to Omega-Naito. I think from night 2. Um, but that match, I'm ready. Like, I'm juiced now to see Ibushi and Naito. That, I'm ready. Let's go. Uh, yeah, Put it let, on now. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's do, do that right now. And to close, Zack Sabre Jr. is getting, even though he has six points, he's winning and losing, but he's being presented as a star, just like he was when he won the New Japan Cup. And 
the style is what it is. I love the style because he makes other people have to wrestle that style. Watch the Sabre-Sonata match. Sonata was forced to wrestle that style and beat him at his own game. And Sabre was fired up afterwards, just like he was when he lost Omega and he was throwing things and he couldn't believe it. This guy's a stud, Adam. Thank you, Zack Sabre, for not taking the Cruiserweight Classic money and not being in a tag team with Noam Dar right now on 205 Live. Instead, you're a worldwide star, brother. I've said it before about Sabre, and it is really of no offense to him whatsoever. It's not necessarily a style I enjoy. His match against Ibushi, now that notwithstanding, was fantastic in the G1. He's just not the character that I get behind or I necessarily get excited of. Here's the next match. Oh, it's Zack Sabre versus someone. It, it's, that's again, not offense to him. There's plenty of dudes in this tournament that excite me. He does not happen to be one of them. I do, just because you mentioned him, real quick. Quick shout out to Sonata too. Yes. No one, gets, no one gives this guy credit for anything. He's just, he's like on that same level or almost at the level of a lot of the other guys we're talking about, but he's definitely on the Hangman page, Juice Robinson, Sonata, where if they're in a match, I want to see it. Absolutely. And that, that's the imbalance that we talked about here. It's a, it, it is becoming a problem. Look, if you don't have a lot of time and you want to get caught up quick, like I did in the past week, although I finally came around on some A blocks, just watch every B block match. Really? Yeah. I mean, Goto's the worst member of that B-block in terms of, like, must-see, and he's amazing. He had a borderline five-star match with Kenny Omega. I mean, he's doing great matches. The A-block problem is it's not just Yoshihashi and Makabe who are instant skips unless there gets a star, but, you know, Evil and Fale, they're B-sides. They can have good matches as a B-side, but every B one, you can't skip it because it's great. A's got too many potential skips, although, of course, you got Suzuki, you've you've got Ace, you've got Okada, but I hate the way they're booking Okada. We talked about that last week. And A block is giving you too many chances to skip. And Adam, that should never be. Sabre should be in the A block. That would have fixed it like he was last year. Any of the top five guys on the B block could have been inserted into the A block and made things much more even, much better. Before we fully get out, and we keep saying that, but we actually would be remiss not to mention Tama Tonga yes. because the storyline with the Tongans has been weaved through both blocks. And it's one of the major things that's happening. And we really didn't mention it at all. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb and kind of say it works for me, the storyline, but I am not buying into him as a legitimate threat or important. It's just, these guys are causing havoc and we understand why, and we get the storyline and it's fine, but Tonga cursing and giving the middle finger and, and the fake faking out the Roman Reigns thing, continuing their Twitter beef. It just, for me, it's like. Yeah, you're a bad guy, but you're not selling yourself to me. Nothing he's done has elevated him in my mind. Okay, I think the complete opposite. Last week, I had a little bit of fear that you're mentioning, that it's not enough. I didn't even think he came in at the physical level of shape he should have been. But I thought in the last week, really catching up on this tournament, dude, his matches are must-see. They're weird because a lot of them end by disqualification because his attitude on Twitter, in interviews, in the matches is, I don't care about this tournament. I don't care about the Bullet Club. I don't care about anything. But your comment on how it's weaving into the A block, it's making the bad luck Fale matches quasi must see on A because many times now you got Tama Tonga running in and Tonga Loa doing that like rap to introduce Tama, Tama's matches. His brother is amazing. I think it's elevating him match by match because he's had to wrestle in a few of these matches and not just brawl. And he has. And they've tricked you into believing we're actually going to have a finish. But every single time Tonga Loa gets involved, and the ref suddenly takes 19 bumps, like in the Naito Tamatonga match, which is a borderline must-see. 
but the drama that it has started to create is out of this world. I am so fired up by it. I think it's working. He's getting over as despicable, and I can't wait till that Kenny Tamatonga feud. Maybe he'll never win the title, and that's fine. He'll have his dance in the sun, but I'm going to be dancing with him. So I'm not, I just want to clarify. I'm not saying it's not entertaining. I'm just, I don't think it's elevating him. We talked about, is he a potential main eventer? Like, is he someone that, if they build this, you're going to buy into as a potential legitimate threat to Kenny? And in my opinion, they've done nothing to tell me that whatsoever. It's WWE-style booking there, but I like it. It reminds me of uh, Kane and Undertaker like running through Raw when I, when I was there live in 98 in, in New Haven. All right, well, this show is already three hours long. We got to put the G1 away, but G1, I love you. Fans out there, keep watching. Make sure this Saturday you do go out of your way to see that. Uh, any other matches must see? Yeah, every, every match in the B-Block moving forward. B-Block, B-block singles matches. Yep. All right, Adam, so that's a must-see event for, for uh, wrestling fans. A must-see thing, though, every morning in your inbox, in your or in whole, if you will, is that CBS Sports HQ newsletter. We talked about it before. Guys, you know what CBS Sports HQ is, right? The live 24-7 streaming network that you should be watching on your phone, tablet. Heck, stream it on your TV with the Roku, fellas. That's what I'm talking about. You can see me. You can see Nick Costos. But that daily email, I'm not going to lie. I cover fight sports. I'm not always listening and watching to everything. That daily email every morning is keeping me up to date on the sports world with highlights, stories that I need to see and you need it too. So when you wake up, I don't know, if, if you're gross enough to light a cigarette in bed, then do that. Live your life the way you want to. <laughs> but make sure you open up in your inbox to get that CBS Sports HQ newsletter. It's cbsports.com slash HQ daily to subscribe. And hey, tell them BC sent you and maybe you'll get a free bear koozie. Maybe not. Adam, time for don't make me say rapid fire edition, but it just Lightning might be round edition. Let's go of hero or zero. Oh, wow. This is a soundboard disaster, Adam. Soundboard all over the place. I'm hitting it with my elbow. Big dog. Yes, we know it. Let's keep you going. Had me, you had me buying into this week being lightning round because the show is actually running long, longer than we actually want to, and you don't hit me with the big dog, so I have to waste 30 seconds uh, giving you some crap. Did you hear, Enzo? Okay. Did you hear the consensual penis right there for a second? <laughs> all right, let's move oh, on. Oh, I did. I, uh, <laughs> you can't miss that. Uh, all right, BC. Starting out here or zero here. Randy Orton brutally attacked Jeff Hardy on SmackDown, as we mentioned earlier and rub the paint off his face after ordering Shinsuke Nakamura to hit Hardy with Kinshasa. So hero or zero to whether just a few weeks in, this is the best version of Randy Orton that we have seen since the legend killer days. Wow, now that's a bold question. That's one of those, are we going too far with the hyperbole? Was hook the leg, hook the leg, really the greatest call in, in pro wrestling it history wasn't. by Don Callis? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you this. Yeah. I think this is the most excited I've been about Randy Orton since the legend killer days. And the problem with Randy Orton is he's a great B-side historically, but he can get vanilla at times. And he certainly can get vanilla as a baby face. Turning him heel had me intrigued, but turning him into creepy, despicable heel who would go to this length in a non-match situation like you mentioned earlier and deliver that dialogue to Hardy as he's rubbing off the face and leaving it very cryptic as to what his relationship is with Nakamura, who snuck in from behind to take out Hardy. And you kind of feel like one of three things is true. They're working with each other. Or B, they're just both dirtbags and they're trying to pick the same bone off the meat. Or three, they might make out after the match. And to some people, that's <laughs> fine. If you're going to enjoy that, go for it. But there was a lot of stuff going on right there. 
most of it or all of it I loved. Randy Orton, holy crap, yes, hero. Okay, I was waiting for the hero there. Uh, I completely agree in every way. And what I love the most about it, so that so as we actually do go lightning round here and I don't fully repeat your points, he didn't do the RKO when he had the opportunity because the RKO fans pop for, because as I've mentioned previously, it's the best finisher in wrestling history. Yes. So he's refusing to do the RKO and he's instead he's doing crotch shots. He's doing the despicable uh, elevated DDT or whatever you want to call that hanging off the ropes or the apron. He did it twice, you know, in that event. That's fantastic. What he needs to bring back is the knockout kick. And if he does that and adds that to the arsenal, Randy Orton is going to be continue his ascension into yes, hero, the best version of himself since the legend killer days. Love it. Number two, hero zero, Adam Tomasa Champa last week, NXT main event defeated Alistair black, following late interference from Johnny Gargano to win the NXT championship. So a little bit of a two-part here. Hero or zero on the timing of this title change coming on a pre-taped weekly episode in late July and what this means for maybe the greatest story ever told in NXT history as we move forward. It's really tough because I want to give it a zero for the purposes of a title changing hands. Not on live TV. It's in 2018, right? We're, we're going to find out. I tried very hard not to find out anything, and I still found out by receiving by seeing a retweet on my Twitter account that isn't for wrestling. <laughs> Someone just retweeted it. I'm like, oh, my God. So then I knew about it, obviously, in advance. So because of that, I'll give it a zero. But I don't think NXT has any other option when you consider you can't always have every single title change for every championship be on a takeover. Otherwise, every title match that's on TV is never going to be a title change. You're already going to know it's either going to be a clean win or a DQ. So you have to do that occasionally. Do I wish maybe they didn't do it with the NXT title? Sure. But where I think this is going um, and where I know it's going based on spoilers, to get the match that they're going to have at the next takeover, you needed the title to change hands here. So Hero, ultimately, for how it's advancing the Gargano Champa storyline, I'm going to give it a zero, but an understandable zero for the title changing hands on TV. Yeah, me finding out in advance as well was a zero. Everything else was a hero, including putting it on regular TV and making these NXT episodes must-see. Now, that, that might sound blasphemy, because 80% of the time they're must-see, but they can have a throwaway episode in between. This is now making it absolutely must-see, even for the main roster fans who respect and love takeovers, but no, they don't have to watch NXT each week. Now you kind of do because this was fantastic. If keeping it pre-taped is the only way we can keep it in that small arena with the dimmed lights where it feels a little bit like WCW, NWA, Saturday Night on TBS where they'd film in that tiny uh, little studio and it also feels like Territory Days with the darkened lights and it's just grimy like people are smoking cigarettes in the background, like fantastic, then I'll take tape delay and I'll just do my best to avoid it. It wasn't a five-star match like people wanted to say, and that was an emotional reaction. It was a very good match. It was a four, four and a quarter, but the finish, the emotion, loved, loved, loved Adam. Loved everything about this. We knew the belt had to go on Champa to make Gargano one day winning it in potentially the biggest babyface pop since Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30, right? Pure babyface, potentially. Uh, maybe outside of Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania, by the way. That was in that category as well, but... You had to put it on Champa, and congratulations. Not just in making Champa potentially the best heel in wrestling, which we talked about, but to actually make him a believable title holder at that size 
Yes, I know it's NXT, but still, they've done very well. Because I love Adam Cole, baby, but he's still maybe only 95% there on me fully believing him as a title holder at that size because I come from the old big man days. Champa's crazy enough? I believe it. I definitely believe it. Hero. Yes. All right. Moving on. Number three here. Not so much lightning round edition of Hero or Zero. On the same day that you turned 40 last week and donned a poncho in Vermont, BC, we had Finn Balor somehow turning 37. Guy looks like he's 27. Considering he was buried yet again on Raw this week and is seemingly going nowhere, Hero or Zero that Balor, a.k.a. or FKA, Prince Devitt, would be better served rejoining NJPW considering his age. Uh, am I all in on a statement like that? Are you kidding me? I'm all in. Are you all in, Brian? Oh, come on. Oh, come on, Brandy. Look, oh, come on, Brandy. Here's the... Oh, well, I was so fired up in that moment. That was Mark's <laughs> sauce. That was... The sauce was the boss. Here's the thing. I know I'm not alone that when I read the famous birthdays on my own birthday, July 25th, it was like Marty Skrull, the late Walter Payton, Finn Balor, thir- 37, what? You're right. He looks, acts, performs like he's 27 in person as well, by the way. Great guy. But good old Ferg, bro, you're going nowhere. You're absolutely going nowhere. And if your future of one day going somewhere, because by the way, it does eventually come around in WWE. Look at Dolph Ziggler. It does come around. What are you going to be, an IC title holder? They don't want to put the red belt on you again. You, you had some bad luck. At, at best, maybe you'll become a demon heel, and they'll use you like they use Bray Wyatt. You're not going anywhere, brother. There's room on the ship. And when I say the ship, I don't necessarily mean Chris Jericho's rockin' wrestling rager at sea, but that's also in play, Adam. I don't know his contract situation, obviously, but if you are new to NJPWWorld.com and this podcast got you into the G1, go back and do yourselves a favor and dip into their archives and watch a taste of Prince Devitt Finn Balor as the head of the original Bullet Club there and watch him say the F word in promos and just be an absolute ripped badass. Yes, you're 37, bro. Think about your life. Think about your future. Unless you love charity and that's great and being a, and being a you know a role model for kids and that's fine. And unless you love the money, that also can be fine. Maybe you just love it, Finn Balor. But if you love the art form, if you love oh, doing things that matter, if you love Lord. doing things that get people to say, I feel that, I feel that, brother, there's definitely room for you on the revolution, in or out of the Bullet Club. Let's do this. Call me. I'll make it work. Amen. Peace. We out of here. End that, of the show. End of the show. Drop the mic. It's over. We just, that yes, is, hero. That is, one, that is one of the worst takes in Hero or Zero history on this show. It tasted so good, though. You know it I, did. I am in complete agreement, as you know, that Balor, it's mind-boggling what is happening to Balor. And the fact on Monday night that Finn Balor jobbed clean to Baron Corbin, another mid-card heel, okay? And I, I say Kane is another one, even though he was in the main event. But the fact that he jobbed clean to Baron Corbin, only for Baron Corbin to get punched in the mouth by Roman Reigns and jump away from Brock Lesnar looking weak the rest of the show, if you're going to have him win... Build Corbin up as strong the rest of the show, right? If you're going to have him get over Finn Balor. So he loses that match, and they're obviously setting up another. And the hope, of course, because we always hope for Finn Balor is that he goes over and ends the dumb feud that he's in, which happened with Bray Wyatt because of the mumps, and we didn't see the, the pumpkin <laughs> demon character, right? Um, so despite all of that, okay, what he has proven since joining NXT and then WWE is he is so effing over and he has it okay that 
He is in the right place for his skill set. He's selling merch. The fans absolutely love him. He's advancing the LGBTQ, I don't want to call it agenda, but something that WWE doesn't otherwise have, promoting you know equality for everybody. He is in the right spot, but the wrong brand. Where Finn Balor belongs is on SmackDown the next time we have a roster shift. And you can take anyone else from SmackDown, maybe AJ Styles, move him over to Raw, and you're talking about a main event WWE title guy. For some reason, Vince, and maybe Triple H a little bit, although I find that hard to believe, have lost faith in him for the main event picture on Raw. Or maybe it's simply that we have Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, and they don't give an F about anyone else, so they're not going to build him up unless they're going to... If they're not even making him IC champion right now because they got three other guys in the middle of that picture. So maybe it's just circumstances at this point. But despite all of that, for all the reasons I just said, it's a zero as the answer to your question. He should <laughs> stay in WWE for those reasons. At no point in your rambling, incoherent oh, response. All right, the point on, on, on the it blue was a good brand. Response. Don't give me. The point on the blue brand was well taken. That was well said. It just comes down to this. There's only so many five-star matches in one man's body. So don't be wasting two and three stars at house shows, Ferg. Does he have any, though? Has he? Is he on that five-star him. match they list? don't let him. No, Forget WWE. I'm talking about. I, I'd have to go research. But what I'm saying is, you know, you're in your physical and wrestling prime because because your late 30s, the, the mind comes together with the body. You're in your prime. Think about your future. And anyone that's saying, don't you understand? He's going to go over Corbin. Who cares? He's going to go over Corbin on the on the SummerSlam pre-show. And if you bring out the demon to be Corbin, you don't need. Oh, the, no, no, like, no, stop. no. They can't. No, stop. no, no. They can't. Look, what's happening Zero. right now, what's been happening to Balor. It's an unmitigated disaster. The smiling stuff, you know I hate the leather jacket, you like it, um, etc. But he has already shown in his time in WWE what he is capable of. And like you said, things do come around. They will get back there eventually. Get your money, stay in WWE. Oh, Not that his contract's up or anything like that. Ferg has it. Vince McMahon right now doing anything involving wrestling? You don't have it. You don't. You don't, Vince. You lost it, brother. Anyway, we got to move on. I can't even linger in this, and I want to. I want to do the whole show right here. Anyway, we can't. Number four, Hero Zero Adam, Sasha Banks, and Bailey debuted matching ring gear on Raw, and a new name in a tag team victory, the Boss and Hug Connection. Hero or Zero? I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do and just freak out. Because I'm going to surprise you here. Oh, no. I'm going to surprise you. The name, well, let me get this out of the way. Is that really the a surprise is, at this point? Come on. <laughs> the name is awful. Okay. Like, I understand it's rock and sock and rock and wrestling. And, and Doesn't going even the, rhyme. No, that's the problem. So they're going for the continuation of this. But you could call them the legit huggers. I came up with that in 30 seconds. That's <laughs> such a better name. The legit huggers. It's a great name. This is such a bad name. Outside of that, as much as look, we've been saying it, man, for months, I wanted them one on one at SummerSlam in Brooklyn. It, everyone in the world thought they were going that way. It's now becoming painfully obvious they're forming a tag team and hopefully moving towards the introduction of these women tag team titles, maybe at Evolution, whatever. As much as I hate the name and as much as I hate that they're not Don't getting the one on one feud that we want, I'm going to say this that match on Raw and them working together was awesome. Hero. No, no, it wasn't awesome. Brian, it's Brian, not. crowd, 
The crowd went nuts. It was a really good match from them. Because it was a house show, basically, Raw, on Monday night. They had a great, they had a fantastic finisher. What was the backstabber into the Bailey to Belly? I like that. I did like that. Um, The The name name sucks. The gear worked. They worked together. Hero. The name is a stain, though, that you can't get past. It it's so damn unoriginal. You know it came from Vince. It's horrific. Now we're talking about them being a tag. They were supposed to be a life team. This was supposed to be a life team angle, not a tag team. This was supposed to be the silver or bronze lovers, right? Like, this was some... We had something here, Adam. WWE can't pull the trigger on it. It's all a zero. It all is, all right? We don't need tag teams. We need life teams in WWE. It's about time, all right? You just mentioned oh. it with Finn Balor. Thank we you. don't need tag teams, but it's it's just clear that that's what they're doing. I mean, uh, they're they're literally forming the first, well, not the first, because the, the iconics exist. And what was the um, what was the one absolution? with Michelle McCool? Oh, Lay cool. cool, yeah, an yeah. absolute. So they do have some. I wasn't trying to say the first, but this is like an obvious tag team, as opposed to like two women that have aligned themselves together, which is what the iconics are. It's clear they're using two of the most over women in the company to get over the introduction of a tag team title. If not, then this is a, even more of a disaster than you think it is. But you have to believe that's where they're going. All right, finishing up Hero Zero, the September 1st All-In card is really starting to come together with a couple announced matches at this point. We have Nick Aldis defending his NWA World Heavyweight Championship against Cody, uh, Okada against Marty Scurll, Joey Janela against Hangman Page, a six-man tag match featuring, I think it's Rey Mysterio, Ray Phoenix, and Bandito against the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi. And after all of that, it's kind of leaving only a couple guys left. And those guys are Kenny Omega and Pentagon Zero M, which le- is leading many to believe that might be the main event. So that's a hero. We don't even need, if that it does happen, we don't even need to go further than that. But BC, my question for you, hero or zero as to whether this card, as it stands now, can actually live up to the expectations that the quick sellout for All In has created, even without potentially Chris Jericho, CM Punk, or some people still think Daniel Bryan. <laughs> Um, we gotta, we have to kind of identify which expectations. The expectations that it's that it has potential to be a fantastic show for smart fans and indie wrestling fan lovers, and even casual WWE only fans who may have an opportunity to watch it. Will it live up to your entertainment expectations? Absolutely. It's a hero, and I'm all in, Brandy. It's a hero. Are you kidding me on the idea? The Kenny Omega and Pentagon Jr. I mean, just having Rey Mysterio on some of these other matches, the idea that Cody could win the NWA title, we'll get the Dusty Fields. Yes. But the, the, that's really not the question. The question is, can this be the type of crossover success that says we are competing against WWE? Because you don't do this show unless you're really trying to. I know you can say that's not the theory of it. It's to win the Meltzer bet. No. You make power moves like this, Adam, because you're competing in some form with WWE. Without one of those big names mentioned, Chris Jericho, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, can it live up to the expectations to get enough eyes in front of it where it would equal the buzz of the sellout and what they're trying to accomplish? Sadly, a zero unless you get one of those names. I think Punk is the key. Jericho is almost a little too easy. Now, I know there's a problem there. If Jericho did it, he'd kind of be double-crossing Vince McMahon. There's kind of like, we don't know if that will actually happen. And Daniel Bryan's a crapshoot. It's a, it's a pipe dream. But Ring of Honor has made some moves to try to get CM Punk. There's not a lot of belief on the insiders like Meltzer that it will happen. But Punk's the name. That's the move that makes this 
yes, this is a this is in your face. This is real. We're coming for you. I think you hear me knocking, and I think I'm coming in. You kind of need a punk to do that. Well, there's still the payoff with Bernard the business bear, and it seems weird that they – I understand the the angle they're going with it with you know Cody's campaign now and all that stuff, but he's too integrated into this being the elite and the show and all in for there not to be some reveal. Now, that reveal might just be an older legend, someone that we're not even talking about who won't wrestle, but it could also be CM Punk, and I think you need something like that for there to be a headline created from the show that expands past wrestling journalism, wrestling websites, and so on. You need something that cbssports.com is going to want to have as a news headline. Yes. All in sold out show first non first independent, you know, non Vince McMahon show since WCW, you know, sells out, wins over fans, and CM Punk makes his return to wrestling. So, I'm going to say it's a zero that it can live up to expectations without that, mostly because, and this is the last point I'll make, and I've talked about this before, there's been so much time to build this show that every single week expectations get raised another tiny notch. If they actually did the three-month bet with Meltzer and they booked the show and ran it three months later, this would have exceeded expectations in every possible way imaginable with this card and this roster and selling out the show, et cetera. But they've had nearly a year. So for a year of hype, if your main event is Omega Pentagon and that's the best moment of the show, I'm going to love it as a wrestling fan, but it's not going to extend past professional wrestling. That wouldn't be the main event, though. There'd be no title at stake. It'd have to be Cody. I think Cody's the face, him and the Bucks. It's got to be Cody. I don't know that you put the NWA title in a main event there of an ROH show. Yeah, because ROH is helping, but it's not an ROH show. It's a Cody and Bucks show. I Um, I got something to say. It may be hard to say, but... Why don't you just spit it out? Why don't you just talk straight to me and quit beating around the bush? What are you trying to say? Adam, the timing of WWE bringing back Hulk Hogan into the WWE Hall of Fame and having him go backstage to repair fences with African-American athletes was not for the reasons you think it was. It was, in fact, to make sure that he... Terry Bollea Hulk Hogan is not used to make all in the type of crossover event that CBS Sports would write about. Do you know what kind of criticism they would have gotten by putting Hogan on that show, number one? And then number two, Hogan is not re-signed with WWE. Now you can say by Vince bringing him back and allowing him to be there. And he was also in Miami on Monday night. There haven't been any reports whether he was backstage or not, but he was in Miami and Raw was in Miami. So your contention is Vince allowing him to sniff the WWE air again was enough to keep him from doing all in without signing him to a contract or paying him any money. Yes, because what Hulk knows is that two things. One, for all the money he made, and he just made an ass load from that Gawker deal. He's Hulk Hogan. He's still going to need money. If If he gets back in the WWE family, there's at least some form of a paycheck there, probably for life. Number two, he's a, a glory whore in a way. Like, let's be honest, it's Hulk Hogan. He he wants to be back on camera again. He wants to be in, you know, the, the pro wrestling's biggest living advocate, Muhammad Ali until he died, right? Like, he, that, that's who he is in wrestling. He can only do that with WWE. But had Vince not reached out to him in, in trips, he may have had a discussion in his head that says, 
I don't know if I'm ever going back. I don't know if they'll let me. And I know something about Terry. He smells money, <laughs> and he smells money in the Bucks and Cody. And I'll bet you this was a counter move for that because it's not above Hulk to say to himself, maybe Trips and Vince won't let me back. I got to be part of something, brother. I got to claim ownership on something. Maybe he just goes, I'm Hollywood Hogan again. All in is the new WCW. It's the new NWO. Let's do it because this is the future of pro wrestling. This right here. You know it, Adam. Come on. Yeah, why didn't you let why didn't you let that play? I don't know how much, you know, allotted time I'm allowed to play Hulk Hogan that's these fine. days. Under uh, yeah, oh that's true. We did kind of have that conversation. Um the only thing that would stand in my way of believing that, and maybe we can end on this note, is the Young Bucks did mention previously that he reached out about working with them and being in the Bullet Club, but then when they asked him his rate, it was like he like they like laughed. That they, that A that they would pay it or that they could afford it. Wasn't it like so, seven hundred thousand or something like that. I, I don't know the spe- I don't know what the specific number was, but they laughed. Was was the result? So the fact that they would then pay that to get him at all in, where I think they've said that they're making very little, if any, money from it. Ultimately, you know, that's a little tough to believe. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't put it past Vince McMahon for thinking that way. No question. Plus WWE in general, and I'm not talking Hogan. Just in general, they have so much money right now from these upcoming TV deals that. Why wouldn't they just buy people to keep them out of the revolution? We may see more of that moving forward. Hey, it's time to slide in to those DMs because we care about the people. We don't always have a lot of time to answer your questions, but we care about them. We get them. We read them. We want to talk about them right now. Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email? (laughs) Can I have your attention, please? Oh, yeah. Here we go. All right. So we're also going to try to do lightning. The, The Hero Zero was not lightning round. This needs to be. We are. Short on time today from Adam X. Parsons at Adam X. Parsons, BC. He wants to know that Meltzer reported Vince McMahon doesn't want to be featured on TV much anymore because he feels he looks too old. He does. <laughs> Is that if that's true, when do you think he will officially, quote unquote, walk away from the product, if at all? No, never. Just like we, we rightfully say Vince will never retire from WWE until, uh, sadly, he, his last breath. He's never going to officially walk away, but he, you know, I mean, look, he's a. 73 year old man who's been through the wars on the way on the weight bench probably with the performance enhancing audio definitely with concussions in the ring and definitely with a lifestyle that means work every second for all those years and do legendary things he's washed he looks washed his booking is washed by the way but that's another <laughs> argument um no uh, he's not gonna walk away he's not at all he, and he's also not gonna like write himself out of the of the storyline you know no no so he's never gonna walk away but I do think if the XFL does end up getting off the ground, based on what we've seen from Vince and what he's already allowed Hunter to do, Paul, I should say, I do think the micromanaging will take a step back once the XFL actually starts. And that's still, I think, over a year away at this point. So we're still talking way in the future. Might be 75 by that point. And I think he'll still lord over booking decisions and, and you know, the, the way that storylines play out, especially for the main shows and what WWE does in terms of its storylines and those progressions. But I don't necessarily think he's going to still show up at every single Raw and every single SmackDown as he does now, because you would have to believe that there's only so much time in a week and someone trying to run a professional football league wouldn't have the ability to do that. Number two here on sliding into our DMs with rumors that The Rock is interested in one more WrestleMania match. Brian Napier asks the following and is a uh, Name is at its napes. Would The Rock versus Roman Reigns 
work as a match at WrestleMania. Yeah, you're damn right. I mean, name, name power. Look, Rock versus anybody's going to work. If I had my Rock pick, I still want to see Rock Brock. I still want to see that again on this level at this point in their lives. Rock Roman Reigns is a very interesting proposition for the WWE to consider. Obviously, if it was like heel Reigns against returning. It would have to be. I guess it would have to be. So his que- that's the, I think that's the theme of what his question is saying. Would it work? How would it work? Well, it would have to be they would commit to heel Reigns. And then you'd have to have babyface Rock coming back being like, this is not how Samoans act. But then again, historically, that is how Samoans act on camera. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting into Samoan deep, dark territory here. Obviously, <laughs> it's going to work. It's going to move a hell of a lot of product because it's the Rock. But can you do it without turning Roman heel? Or are we not being creative enough here? Can Rock act like a heel? No, he can't, right? I mean, he can, he, he can okay. act like one, but he's going to get cheered. Right. That, that, I guess that's my point. Yeah, that's my point. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the match could work. Sure. And, you know, Cena was the heel side of that match, but still acted like a face because the things he was saying were true. I don't necessarily know that there's a legitimate family angle that would make the match make sense in a storyline perspective. They would really have to do some creative writing to get that to work. But look, on the topic of The Rock, so it was reported last week, I think, by Meltzer that he has some interest in coming back to WWE. He doesn't think that he's going to be under contract to a studio at that time where He can then therefore not worry about getting injured if he does wrestle. And he's also approaching the age where this might actually be the last time it really makes sense for him to have a legitimate WrestleMania match. That's all great. This week on Raw, they mentioned The Rock. This week on SmackDown, they mentioned The Rock. So they are planting seeds for a Rock return at WrestleMania. There is no question in my mind. They were blatant references to The Rock on both shows. And if we do see a Rock match, I don't think it's going to be against Roman. I don't think it's going to be against Brock. I think it's going to be against Elias. No, no, he's not there yet. I know what you're saying. I get the synergy, but no. It's a, it's an exact synergy. Oh, man. It would only be if it was one of those situations because of his movie contract situation. If they're like, you wouldn't have a six-second Eric uh, uh, Rowan match, but you'd have like, all right, Brock. Brock five minutes. You want to say five, five, five minutes, minutes. getting out of here? If, if he was doing a real match, Roman would make sense at one point. I think we're wrong on what we said. Of course, they can do it with Roman as a babyface, and it's by repeating the Cena model to a degree. No one's buying into that, though. Well, hey, what about this? Rock says, all right, Roman, you're the new guy in the line of Hogan, Austin, Rock, blah, blah, blah. But you've never beaten me. And I don't I know they've done that before. But when you start doing the babyface versus babyface promo, then you work in the Samoan stuff. Then Roman says, hey, Rock. You're only half Samoan. You're not real Samoan. Like, I don't I don't know. Maybe that's pushing it. Maybe that's going the wrong direction. That's heelish, though. I mean, you're, you're just not going to get Roman over as a face against The Rock. But if Vince's ultimate goal is to have everyone still alive to lose to Roman to give him that push, we already saw oh. Undertaker's husk drawn, you know, dragged out there, then maybe it'll work. I don't know. Well, Whatever. look, Roman hasn't beaten Lesnar yet. So before we get that's to Roman Rock, that's we still got that to worry about. All right. Uh, up next here on our DM slides from Thanos Backland at Talk Bulks. Kentucky Long Rifle, what percent chance do we have of Daniel Cormier showing up at SummerSlam and costing Brock the belt, he means championship, by distraction? I say it not good. Low, 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 low percentage because I don't think uh, WWE wants that storyline inserted. And I do think there's a limit for how much UFC would want to get in bed with WWE for that perception that it's all rigged and faked. So would they let Brock come back after a failed steroid test and walk in and push Cormier and have it look fake? Of course they would. They want money. But that's another level to have Cormier into an actual storyline. Like, I don't know. That's too much for me. 
So no. I agree. With, I agree with you completely. Uh, on the Cormier note, though, UFC Calgary commentary. This guy should be a WWE commentator. Fantastic. Fantastic. Like no, no doubter, right? If he actually fully retires, he could jump in and do the number two or number three role well, in any of the shows. I don't know because that's a different ball game uh, on the way WWE main roster does it with you know Vince Nier. Like that's like Corey Graves is amazing at it, but Coach struggling at it right now to a certain degree. You know, like so struggling. Struggling's being kind. Do you want to read the last one since it's directed to me? Hey, yeah, you got it from at John Paglio. Says here's one for the Silver King. Do you think Kona Reeves is what Juice Robinson, a FKA Cody Parker, could have become in NXT and WWE? Uh, no, I don't. I think Kona Reeves is fine, and there is a lot to like about him. I think the what what do they call it? The Hawaiian drop, the like Samoan drop, where it's like released and they go front face down. It's a great move. He's really big, a lot bigger than I thought he was. He's strong. His character's okay, but I don't buy it from him necessarily. So I think, you know, CJ Parker and NXT, I didn't get his entire run on first go, um, but it wasn't going to work. That's not his character. The character Juice has now is the character that Juice should be playing. It's perfect for him. If he was able to bring that to NXT or WWE, I think he'd have a massive amount of success. But I don't necessarily draw the comparison between these two other than to say, Kona Reeves, I don't ultimately think it's going to work just like CJ Parker didn't ultimately work. And every time I see CJ Parker, I think of Baywatch. Such a weird name to give a wrestler. I, in, I incorrectly called him Cody Parker there. Yeah, CJ Parker, fine. absolutely. I don't like Kona Reeves. I'm sorry. I don't, he's, not, he's not doing it for me. I'm, he's not like, I'm not, like, I, I see the potential, though. He's a big guy. He's good. He has good moves set. He's aggressive. But the name, the gimmick, eh. All right. Well, uh, by the way, the best moment in C.J. Parker NXT history was when he broke Kevin Owens' nose with that up palm strike. And on his pro wrestling tee store, you can get the shirt that says I broke Kevin's nose, which, of course, is a callback to I broke Wahoo's leg and all that on and on. I would definitely wear that shirt, by the way. I would never. And let me reiterate this would never wear a WrestleMania football or hockey jersey. If you are listening to the show and you have it in your closet, I know we've said it before. We'll say it once more. Burn it. And it's yep. not called a J shirt, by the way, Silver King. People buried you over that. Well, but, some people disagreed and called it a jersey. That's, but that's it, worse. But, that's worse. But but, but uh, so that's bad. But I have heard it on multiple occasions called a J shirt. Maybe it's just different areas of the, of the country. Regardless, whether it's a jersey, whether it's a J shirt, or whether it's a wrestling football jersey from WrestleMania or from anything else, burn them. Do not wear them. Or you're going to look like Paul Heyman wearing a black belt and brown shoes on Raw, which is as big of a fashion faux pas as you can get, and that's the fashion corner with the silver. i got a question for you. Is Paul Bear telling the truth when he says that your mother was a whore? Oh, come on. No, we, they, no, there's no room for that in this show. Let's get out of here. No field spots this week because the field spots were the G1 and SmackDown and everything else you heard me pop for. Adam, should we give away? Should, should we tease the bag and, and potentially give away the mess that we've got a great guest for next week no not Bret Hart not Dr. J Martha Hart a great guest for next week I think that's a fair enough tease don't want to give away who it is just yet but it's a name you know it's a name many of you love and it's a name that we hope brings some more listeners to the in this corner podcast and it's a conversation that Brian and I have both wanted to have for a very long time 
And he's not Greek, and he doesn't wear Ferragamo shoes. Although that guy, you never know when he may drop in. He's like Brock friggin' Lesnar at this point. Hey, follow us at In This Corner CBS. You already know where we are on Twitter. Give us that five-star review like we asked about. The show's already off the rails three hours in, Adam. But I did want to end it because I like when this man speaks on this show. I also like when I can find the button. Goodbye, and good night, back. We out, G1. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there will ever be in wrestling. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>